Well, welcome everyone. It's good to be with everyone uh, at all of our campuses. If you're joining us online, really, really glad you're with us. Welcome. My name is Ben. Uh, this is a great church. It's a great place. We're just a bunch of imperfect people trying to navigate our way through life uh, with the guidance of a perfect Savior and a perfect God. And if you're an imperfect person, you're really welcome here. We've got a lot of new people here. A lot of you are clearly imperfect. We're, you're really going to fit in great. And if you're a perfect person, you're just probably more jacked up than the rest of us. You'll fit in good, too, around here eventually, too. So I, uh, I'm fresh back. Uh, this uh, Just about a week ago, returned from uh, our annual kind of trek uh, to Minnesota. I've got a few pictures I can show you. Uh, the idea is that we would go away and uh, refresh ourselves uh, kind of retreat from the responsibilities of, of daily life here and reconnect with family and refresh our vision and also just be with people that we love and a place that we love so dearly. And uh, most of that happened really, really well. One of the highlights is my kid got married, so that's a big deal. Our number two son, Andrew, married the wonderful Nicole, and it was back here in Maryland in July. It was just an awesome time and a really, really good day and really, really grateful for that. Um, a lot of you asked about my parents. Um, uh, Dad had a, uh, a hip fracture and some surgery and some rehab, and uh, they're working through it, trying to figure out how mom and dad can live together at home alone again. And uh, honestly, it's a challenge and a kind of precarious situation. So if you're a praying person, and I hope that you are, uh, you, can, you can certainly keep praying for my folks and uh, spend a lot of time uh, with them uh, this summer and uh, but it was, it was really good to go. It was, uh, it's great to be back. And I love this place. And I love you all. And uh, I'm excited, as excited as I've ever been about the next season of ministry at Mountain. And uh, it's going to be an amazing fall at Mountain. I can't wait uh, to unveil some of it for you. But today, we want to jump right in. I want to talk to you about the good life. All right, the good life, because we all want the good life, and I think most of us kind of know somewhere in our head that it's got to be more than, um, well, just a life of luxury or long vacations. Um, the good life, we know, I think, it, it's more than just good food and, and good health and good sex and good family life. It's got to be more than that. And one day they came up to Jesus and they said, Jesus, what's the good life? What, is, what does God really want? What's the most important teaching you could ever latch on to? What's the most uh, important part of the Bible? Boil everything down about life and what is it, Jesus? And he answered the question. And here's what he said. He said, um, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love God. Love God. And then he said, oh, there's something else that's just as important. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. Love people. And then in the Gospel of Luke, he went right on to tell a story, and some of you heard the story. It was about a guy who was walking and got beat up and left for dead in a ditch. Some others ignored him and walked by, but one guy stopped and served him, helped him. And Jesus said, go be like that guy. Serve the world. Love God. Love people. Serve the world. And you got to decide if you trust God enough to believe that that's a recipe for the good life. 
or if you trust your inner voices or the voices of our culture more. But Jesus says that is the good life. So will you say them with me here? Same with me. Love God, love people, and serve the world. We call those three things together around here the mountain walk. And they kind of are shorthand for a way of saying, hey, after I jump in with Jesus, I've got to continue to walk with Jesus. And how do you do that? Well, you love God, love people, and serve the world. And it's three relationships. And the first one is a relationship with God. And so you can think of that as the vertical. So you can put your hands, everybody put your hands up like this. That stands for love God. Say it with me. Love God, right? And then Love people is where you put your arm around some others because you can't get there on your own. And then serve the world is where you put your hands out like this. So one more time, all three motions together. Ready? Love God, love people, and serve the world. Now each of these kind of has two prongs to them that make it really practical that we can look at each one of these areas, love God, love people, serve the world, with two prongs that kind of break out to make it really practical. And the first is we talk about love God. The two prongs are abide alone. Abide alone. What does that mean? Well, it means if you want to love God and have a real connection with the living God, you've got to do it like Jesus and have time where it's just you and God alone. Abide alone. And then worship together is coming together with the people of God to worship God for the glory of God. As we talk about love people, the two prongs are hold on because you can't really follow Jesus by yourself. You need to do it with some others who know God and know you. So we, we, reach, we, we hold on to some others. And then the other area under love people is we reach out. We reach out to others who need to know the love of God. And so we invite and we pray for and we welcome others to Jesus as well. So love God, love people, and then serve the world has two prongs as well. And they are get going. So we take our good intentions to make a difference and serve someone, and we actually do it. We get going and we serve somewhere, and then give generously, because a heart that is really walking with God will be prompted toward generosity of your time and your talent and even your treasure toward the mission of God. Love God, love people, serve the world, each of these two prongs. Today I want to focus on love God, love God, and the first prong there, you remember, is abide alone. And this is about you really developing a way to connect with God personally, privately. Like you've got to have some ability to spend time in his word and hear from him in prayer. I want to refer you to a series we did earlier this year called Staying Alive because it was all about this. I don't know, I aim you back to that for some help and encouragement and teaching there because today I want to focus in on the second prong of love God which is, you remember, worship together. And I want to help you see and feel and believe how important and vital and necessary the worship that we do when we gather really is in the heart of God and in your heart too. That's what I want to help us get to today. One of the main reasons that it's so important is because 
drift happens. <laughs> How many of you know that drift happens in your life, right? So uh, you know I love Minnesota. Uh, we, I was in a canoe uh, years ago. I used to paddle out at night, uh, you know, um, uh, it's probably illegal to do that, I don't know, don't tell, but I would paddle out like in the middle of the lake and then just kind of lay my head back and I fell asleep one time and I woke, I don't know how long I was asleep, but I woke up maybe an hour later and I was so disoriented, my canoe was like wedged under a tree branch on the shoreline on the opposite side of the lake and it was at night, it was pitch black and I was near a dock, I had no, I, I kept, I just woke up and was like, where am I <laughs> and how did I get here? Drift happens in life like that too, doesn't it? And it happens in our, in our relationship with God where we wonder sometimes, you know, where am I exactly and, and how did I get here? And when that happens, we need ways to find uh, a, a counter to the undercurrents and the breezes of our culture that, that have blown us into places we never thought we'd end up. What, what does it look like when you drift? I mean, we all know about drifting, right? What does it look like? Well, I'll tell you what it looks like. We stop gathering and we start isolating. Does that sound familiar to anybody over the last two years? The whole stuff with the pandemic and COVID led to some isolation that meant we stopped gathering and there was some drift that happened as a result. We're still paying a price for that. We stop resting and we start running. You know what it means to, to just like be so much in a hurry that you don't really rest in God's presence because you're just going on to the next thing? That can lead to drift. Or we stop praying and we start panicking. Panicking is where it's like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? But praying is, God, I need you to do what only you can do. And there's a difference. We stop trusting and we start controlling because we just want to make sure everything's in our own power to control it all instead of trusting God for what he's going to do. We stop climbing and, and growing and advancing in our faith because we just we were coasting because it's more comfortable. That's what drift looks like. We stop, uh, we stop giving and, and we start grabbing because generosity dries up when we drift. We stop uh, serving and, and we start just sitting and, and because it's just easier. We stop wondering like where is God taking me. Instead, we start wandering wherever we want to go. We stop counting our blessings and being thankful and grateful and living every day with just a heart full of gratitude, and we just start comparing to other people and what they have and we don't have, and we stop worshiping and we start worrying. You know? That's what drift looks like. So here's the question. Where are you? Are you drifting? You got any drift happening in your life? Of course, we all do at different times, and here's the more important question. How do we anchor our souls to prevent drift? What I want to tell you today is something so true, I just, but a lot of people don't know it or believe it, but here's how you stop drifting. You worship together. You worship together. In worship, it's where we get our heads screwed on straight again, and all of the stuff that leads us to drift can kind of recede to, and in light of the more prominent truth of who God is and what he means in our lives. And that happens in worship. Let me, let me show you something about what happens when we worship, some amazing stuff that happens. If you open your Bible to Psalm 73, it's one of my favorite psalms. I'm not, someday I'll take you through every single verse of it. We'll spend about nine hours on this psalm. I just want to show you one thing today. This is a, this is a believer in God who... Um, wants to be a, a faithful person, a follower of God, and connect deeply with God. 
But he's reflecting back on a time in his life when he had drifted. And, and as he does so, he's, he's talking about things. And he says in verse 2, he says, As for me, in that time, man, I'll tell you, my feet almost slipped. I wasn't walking with God at all. I was like losing it. I'd nearly lost my foothold. And, and that's a description of where so many people in our society are today. And even people who were previously before COVID were kind of deeply connected to God. But they would say, you know what, honestly, I, might, I think I lost some foothold there. With God. And maybe it's because of COVID or the new normal you got used to or summer or you just got busy or you've been following, doing whatever you want to do or wh- whatever it is, we're kind of like slipping on what we think the good life is. And God is not as prominent in our life as he once was. In the next several verses, he begins to confess that, man, I was looking around at the people who aren't even following God and it seems like they're doing really well. Like they're mocking God and they're like, they have carefree, easy lives. And I was like, am, am I... Am I crazy for believing any of this? Am am I nuts for trying so hard to try to stay connected to God? And that's what was going through my mind, he says. Is all this made up and phony? And And he starts to just feel like, man, look where my head was. If I'm honest, I was pretty far gone. And maybe we need to get a little honest and say, where am I really with God? Have I drifted? Well, all that's where he was, this grumpy, kind of complaining, ungrateful, sin-stuck, drifting person. He says, that's who I was and where I was. And then he has a big word that he enters in here, and it's the word until. Until. Until what? What happened? What brought the change? And he says it in verse 16. He says, I was trying to understand all this, and I was deeply troubled by where I was until I entered the sanctuary of God. He says, my life was on a path. I was, my head was screwed on crooked until I gathered for worship. Until I went to church. And it was there that I heard the truth and I got my heart aligned with God again. I looked in the eyes of my fellow believers and we reminded each other, you're not crazy. This is true. This is real. This God is good. God is faithful. And this is The path to the good life, and friends, that's why we need worship too, to get our head on straight, to get our priorities realigned again and live out who we really want to be, to soften our hearts and admit that we've been too deeply sucked into the world and wandered to remember God. That's what he says in verse 23. He says, man, now I realize I am always with you, God. You are always with me. I've got the one thing I value the most, the priceless treasure, is God. And people without God don't have that. I cannot tell you the number of times that it has been in worship that God has gotten my attention or made something clear to me, and I realize I've got to make a change. I've got to soften toward that person. I need to forgive that person. I need to surrender a fear. I need to let go of something. I need to give more. I need to be kinder. More. I, I, all of this has happened. I, I want to know if that's happened for anybody else. I mean, you at home, you at one of our campuses, you right here, I, I, I want to hear audibly from you in just a minute because I want to know, is there anyone who has felt when you have been in worship where you experienced the change? 
where God nudged you, spoke to you, convicted you, brought you around, convicted you that something needed to change, where all of a sudden you felt relief or comfort or hope or power that you did not have until, until, until you came to the sanctuary. I want to know, anybody, how about an amen from anybody? An amen, a yes, because it's happened to me and it happens to everyone who comes with a heart open for God. And that's why we need this. He comes back at the end and he says in verse 25, when I consider all the earthly desires that I was so caught up in, he says, man, verse 25, whom have I in heaven but you? You're really what I want. Earth has nothing that I desire beside you. He got his head screwed on straight again, and we all need that. You do. I do. Verse 28, he says, as for me, it's just good to be near God, and that's how I feel when I come to worship. It's good to be near you, God, and I'm sorry I wandered. We need that to get our heads screwed on straight. This is why Hebrews in the, in the New Testament, the book of Hebrews reminds us in chapter 10, it says just, hey, let's not, let's not neglect our meeting together. Even though some others may do that, we're not going to. But we need to be together to encourage each other, especially now in days like these. If I can just put it this way, I think what happens when we gather for worship, you know, and you come in, and it's like not every, not, it's not always thunderbolts of lightning and everything, but you know what happens is you come, you sing those songs, you take that communion, you watch a baptism, you hear the word opened, and it comes into your heart. It's like it all fills an inner reservoir inside of every one of us with God's truth and God's power and light. And we need that. And we're going to need it later when we face some sincere struggles. We need that reservoir filled. And when we don't have the reservoir filled and then we face those struggles, it just drags us further away and we drift even more. Further and further away from the good life that we really want. And so it's because the world can be such a tough place and your boss can be such a jerk and the professor mocks God and, and your family thinks you're crazy. It's because of all those things we need to fill that inner reservoir. And one of the biggest challenges that we face, honestly, is our own earthly or fleshly desires that are inside of every one of us. We all face that deep challenge like, if I just do what I want to do, I don't always end up in the best place or with the good life. We've been talking about this in recent weeks. We had a whole series on the fruit of the Spirit. And last week, Luke talked about how important it is to overcome some of the natural desires we have. But the trendy, popular advice today is you do you. You know, just whatever you want to do is true and good and right and it can't be wrong because you want it, so therefore do it. And that's the path to the good life, we're told, over and over again. But here's the truth I want to land with you today. And it's this, that our strongest desires are not actually our deepest desires. Let me say that again. Our strongest desires, those things that, boy, they're just like, oof, I just really want to do that right now, are not actually the things we want the most on the deepest level. So, I mean, just as an example, let's say I get angry with my wife. I, I may be livid about something. She forgot something or slighted me in some way, and I get upset. Now, this is hypothetical, of course. You understand. I've never actually been upset with my wife, but just... 
play along with an imagination game for a moment. Um, so I get upset, and what do I, what's my strongest desire in that moment? Maybe it's like, oh, I just want to snap at her. I want to get some sarcastic jab or a little passive-aggressive little thing, or I might even be so upset with a cumulative pile of frustration that I might even want to shout at her because those desires are super strong in that moment. And I'm not proud to tell you I've actually done all those things because those desires were so strong. What happens later? Every single time, I regret it later, don't I? I do regret it. It felt pretty good, sort of, in the moment. It was a strong desire I fulfilled, but I come back with a moment of clarity with my head screwed on straight, and I'm inevitably saying something like, I am so sorry, I was out of line. That is not what I really want. That is not who I want to be. That's not the kind of marriage I want. It's not how I want you to feel. What I really want is... And I describe maybe a marriage and the way I want her to feel, even though I acted out of my strongest desire, it was not a reflection of my deepest desire. And that's the way it is in all of life, where we always are faced with a choice, like, am I going to operate out of this strong desire I'm feeling at this moment, or am I going to believe that the path to the good life is that I must... Refrain from that because there are deeper desires that I actually have that will lead us to where we want to be. And some of the deepest desires are much deeper than our lusts and our appetites and the things we feel like we want to do on the surface. Our deepest desires are planted by God. And here's what I'm here to tell you right now is that God made you for a relationship with himself. Whether you know it or not or believe it or not or accept that, doesn't change the fact that it's true. God made you in his own image for a relationship with himself. It is your deepest desire to connect to the truth and the purity and the beauty and the love and the grace and the cleansing of a God like that. We all long for it at our deepest level, even more than we want to do whatever we want to do. And the best way I can think of today to tell you to fulfill some of that and get on the path of the good life is let us not give up worshiping together because that's where we come into the sanctuary and get our heads screwed on straight again. I was a young man who lived many years ago, centuries ago, in fact, who got so frustrated with his aimless life that he started pursuing meaning and value and connection everywhere he could through success, through learning and lots and lots of sex. And at the end of it all, he just came up empty and frustrated and angry and he said, maybe I'll try God. And what he found was a God of grace with open arms waiting to forgive and cleanse and it fulfilled his deepest desires. And he's the one, his name was Augustine or Augustine from about the fourth century. And he said, you know what? It's true for all of us. Our souls are restless until they find their rest in you, God. And it's true for you and it's true for me. And when we gather for worship at one of our campuses or if you're online or wherever you may be, you know what? We're a bunch of restless souls who are trying to wrestle through the, the surface level desires we have and the deeper desire we have for God. And worship is a way where we can come and have our deepest desires fulfilled and have our restless souls find rest 
because the only place you'll ever find it is in God. And one of the best ways to do that is worshiping together. So I want to help us think about what that looks like, and we can look to Jesus for this. I just want to take you back through a story in the Bible real quick that helps us know our, our problem isn't that we follow our desires. The problem is we don't follow our deepest desires. And so one day Jesus, Jesus, uh, you know, we think it maybe it was easy for Jesus to say no to his surface-level desires. It wasn't. You know, he was fully human. The Bible says he was tempted in every way like us, and yet without sin. He, he didn't, he never drifted. How is that possible? He was wrapped in human flesh. He had all the same instincts and impulses and appetites and drives that we do. And he was tempted, but he didn't drift. How is that possible? Well, we have a great insight to that in Matthew chapter 4, where he has an encounter with the devil. So Jesus has just fasted in the wilderness, no food for 40 days. And in this weakened state, but purified spiritual state, Satan, the accuser, our enemy, approaches him. Hey, Jesus, how about a Five Guys burger and some fries and a shake? Sounds pretty good, doesn't it, Jesus? Why don't you just turn these stones into bread? Because this stuff, I'm telling you, is scrumptious. And he begins to appeal to Jesus a way to, to, to use his power to gratify his own self. I know you're hungry. Turn these stones to bread. Come on, you could do that. And Jesus refuses. He says, I'm not going to use my power to impress you or anyone else. I'm not a bread Messiah only. I'm not just here to fix the economy. I've got way more important things to do. Matthew 4, 4, Jesus told him, no, the scriptures, he quotes the scriptures back at the devil and says, people don't live by bread alone, you know. You know what they live by? They live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. There's something deeper that satisfies a man or a woman. And I'm going to humbly submit myself to feeding on God's word. Now, here's, my, here's what my point is. How did he come up with that? Did that just pop into his mind at that moment? No, it did not. It came, came to him because Jesus was a boy who was raised in the sanctuary. Every single week and probably every day, he was in the synagogue and he was being filled with the word of God. And it came to him in the moment he needed it the most. And that worship that he had had earlier helped him in the moment. When you come to worship, you're, you're coming with that same sense that Jesus was clear on, that you're ready to say, or you're having God help you say again, I'm hungry for something deeper. Hum, so, hungry for something deeper than, is, than everyone else around me seems to be fixated on in this moment. There's more to life than this burger and that Instagram reel. I'm hungry for something deeper. And we get, it, we get fed with it. Satan comes at him again and uh, shows him all the kingdoms. He has all these kingdoms and the prestige and the perk and the power. It can all be yours. Don't go through this painful process of the Messiah thing and the dying thing. You're going to be left alone and hated. It's going to be awful. But let me just tell you, all you need to do right now, if you just bow down and worship me just this one time, it'll only be one time. You just bow down and worship me. I'll give it all to you. Do it my way instead of God's way. And Jesus grew up reciting 
every single day the Shema from Deuteronomy in the Old Testament and he pulls on it right there and he quotes it back and he says in Matthew chapter 4, verse 10, he says, get out of here, Satan. And, and he says, for this, I'll tell you what the scriptures say. They say you must not uh, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. I'm not going to take, take this, this desire that for, for, for my own glory. I have one kingdom that I desire above all else. And there's only one who is worthy of my loyalty, my allegiance, and I will only bow to one, and it's not you. And you see, in that moment, he was able to go out of there with peace and purpose and know who he was because he had just heard God say, you're my beloved son, and he lived out of that moment, and he was said, I am loyal to someone higher. And friends, when you come to worship, sometimes we know that and we need to declare it, and other times we're not so sure, and worship helps us get our head on straight to say, I am loyal to someone higher, and that is the path to the good life. Satan comes at him again and says, you know what you need, Jesus? You need an agent. You really represent yourself poorly. I tell you what a Messiah is supposed to look like. You know, you, here, I could help you get a crowd, this low-key approach. You come in as a baby in a manger. You got nothing but shepherds following you. I mean, the only guy who advocates for you is this guy with a beard and, eat, you know, out in the wilderness and eating locusts. And he's, everyone thinks he's crazy. Tell you what, I got a promotional stunt that'll be amazing. We'll put you up on the, on the temple pinnacle and you can dive down, do a swan dive. And the Bible even says, I could send angels to rescue you. So at the last second, the angels will grab you and you can land your feet. We'll have a big crowd. You'll have a billion likes. You'll go to TikTok. It'll be viral. It'll be amazing. And Jesus responded in verse 7. Let me tell you what the scriptures really say. Don't test the Lord your God. I'm not going to put God to some silly test so I can hear the applause and the acceptance of a bunch of people who think I'm great because I'm already accepted by, by the one who matters most. I'm already accepted by the only one who matters. And friends, that's, that's something that all of us need in our lives. To stop striving for approval and acceptance and applause in the wrong places because it leads to a fruitless emptiness and when you come to worship, it's the one place you can ground your soul and say, you know what? The one who matters the most has already proved that he accepts me through the blood of Jesus Christ. And you can have your head screwed on straight until you come to the sanctuary and then things change. How did Jesus know all that? I'm hungry. I'm hungry for something deeper. I'm loyal to someone higher. I'm already accepted by the only. I'll tell you where it happened. It happened for him as a kid who grew up in worship. Every single week of his life, it was a priority. And it'll happen for you the same way when you abide alone and worship together. And here's the point. He was in a war. He was in a battle, a spiritual war. But he would not have won that war without the worship that came before. Because his inner reservoir was filled. He was ready. And the same is true for you and me. You are in a battle as much as he was. You're tempted as much as he was. And the outcome will not be determined by how strong you are in that moment. It will be determined by how much worship you filled your reservoir with leading up to it. Because that's where we get equipped for the battle. Let me just give you some practical things to wrap this up. I'm not trying to guilt anyone, you know, like, hey, you should go to church more. Because I'm a pastor, I want to pad the attendance numbers or you know, make you feel ashamed if you're not worshiping enough. Or I just hope you can see through this and, and say, we're trying to teach about what the good life really is. 
And so keep that in mind as I share. I just want to share a couple things with you that I think will really make a difference if you are serious about worshiping together. And the first thing is this. Number one, really practical now. If you want to experience the good life, get your head on straight, have these things we just talked about. Number one, you've got to make worship a priority. Can I just ask you, if you love God, then you need to make the worship of God a priority. And I just happen to know a church that will go out of its way to prepare an amazing experience for you to have space to meet and worship God. Anybody else know a church like that? Absolutely. We're going to be ready. But you've got to make it a priority. Instead of having everything else, bump it to the side if you're busy or something happens or whatever. Make it a priority. Show the kids what's important to you. Make this a commitment in your life that's non-negotiable. God is first, then worship. In the old days, they worshipped, it was the Sunday, they would worship day, everything else revolved around it, and then we started having soccer tournaments on Sunday, and now we're not sure we can find time for God. And I'm just telling you, you want to drift, keep it up, but if you want to have God in your life, make worship a priority. And it's going to change some things, make it a non-negotiable practice. We learned, by the way, during COVID that we, we can redefine intimacy with God beyond just being together in the physical space. We've learned that online can be an important and, and a very special way to still connect. Even the Holy Spirit can work through technology. But let me just say also, if you're worshiping online and it's not working very well for you or, or you're doing it not because you must or it's, it's the only thing you can do, but it's, it's causing you to coast, I would say, will you be honest about that? And some of you maybe need to join us. And others of you, if you're online, man, we love that you're online and everyone's going to start online, but just make sure you're participating, not spectating, and that you're not coasting because we want everyone to experience the real worship uh, of God. So when you're out of town, still worship. Get online or go someplace else or worship with your family somehow or come on Monday or come on Thursday to one of our services. I'm not trying to guilt anyone. I'm just saying if you want to love God, make worship of him a priority. It's a commandment. It's a necessity. Number two, prepare for worship. Prepare. I mean, this is common sense, but it's amazing how often I don't do it and we don't, we don't do it. But everything important to us, we prepare for. You have company over, you prepare the house, you prepare a meal. You've got a big report at work tomorrow, you're going to stay up working on that spreadsheet and the, and the slides and get it ready. And yet, isn't it interesting, if we come in to meet the God of the universe, sometimes we rush in and we rush out with no preparation. But I'm saying, slow down, think about it the night before, ready your body, ready your family, lay your clothes out, begin to say, tomorrow I'm going to go to the house of the Lord. Don't just squeeze it in. Don't just listen to Facebook cat videos on the way here. Clear your mind. Slow down. Don't just work the way you normally would on Sunday. Find or, or whenever you worship, and don't come at it haphazardly. And I promise you, we as a staff and those who are preparing, we will prepare for you. We will have a clean, ready space for you. We'll have a good recording for you. We'll be ready for you. We'll, be, we'll have smiles for you. Our worship musicians will not be just guessing on the instruments and the songs. I'll be prepared. The whoever's speaking will be prepared. The communion will be ready to commune. The, 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 everything will be ready. So you prepare yourself with your heart ready, your mind ready, your attitude ready, and you'll see a massive difference in your experience of worship the more preparation you do. You get here on time, you think, what offering am I going to bring today? Who should I invite today? You begin to think ahead of time about preparing. It'll change your experience of worship.
Okay? Number three, bring something to worship. Bring something. What do we bring? Well, let's think about that. Here, one time I heard someone at another church say they, they were critiquing the worship experience, you know, like they were Simon Cowell or something. They were talking about it, and then they summarized by saying, yeah, I just didn't get anything out of it. Now, I understand what they were trying to say, but it kind of aggravated me. And I said, oh, did you think it was for you? You didn't get anything out of it? So? The worship service isn't for you, you know. It's for God. The question isn't what did you get out of it. The question is what did you bring to it? Because in worship, there's an audience, and it isn't you. It isn't me. This isn't a, a show. It isn't a presentation. It isn't a concert. The people on stage and the people in the, in the congregation and the people online, we're all participants, and there's an audience of one, and it's God, and all of us together are offering our gifts to him. So we're bringing our worship and our praise. You're not coming to get. You're coming to give. What would you bring to it? Psalm 100 says, look at it this way. Shout with joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with singing and with joy. You come before him with that. Verse 4 says, enter his gates with thanksgiving. You come with something. Now, here's the, here's the other truth. You're going to get something out of it. You had a horrible week, let's say. Horrible week. Your, 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 your dog died and someone shot a hole in your trailer and you, you, the wheels got stolen off of your truck and your girlfriend left you. You're a bad country song, right? You had a horrible week and you stay up late the night before and stuff goes bad and you're like, okay, <clears throat> that morning is the last thing you want to do. You can't, you're, you, you're heart sick. You can't even think about going to gather for worship. Let me ask you a question. Is God still on his throne? And does he still deserve your praise, even in the middle of the storm and the heart sick? Absolutely. And here's what's going to happen. If you drag yourself here, you come in. You may not even be able to sing. You just sit, and you'll have the prayers of the people around you help carry you and the voices around you. And if you can, you just make a croaking sound, if you can, out to the Lord. As the words on the screen come into your head and heart, and you make it your own broken prayer, you bring it. You bring your heartache. You bring your sorrow. You bring it. You bring it. You bring everything. And guess what's going to happen? You all know, don't you? You're not coming to say, what do I get out of it? You're coming to bless God out of your pain. And guess what? You will be blessed in the process. And you'll go home with your reservoir filled up. So you do everything you can to bring. Bring something to worship. And finally, can I just remind us that worship is a response. Worship's a response, y'all. We're not starting something when we come to worship. Like if I go to worship and I sing some songs, I do something good, I put something in the offering, then God's going to reward me. He's going to smile on me. No, 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 no. Worship is a response to what God has already done when he made you and loved you and put his breath inside of you. And then when he sent his son Jesus to save you and to lead you forward in life. So we come as a response to say thank you and I need you and I want to get back on track with you to respond to who God is and what he's already done. You know, they say that you'll take about 23,000 breaths today. 23,000 breaths. Maybe you can give some of those breaths back to the God who gave them to you. 
in worship, to breathe out his praise. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Let's do that right now at, at home and all of our campuses. Can you just rise to your feet? Let's stand together. We're going we're gonna to have a moment where we're just going to worship together. We're going to worship together. Will you just let your own heart just bring to God all that you need to fall before him, raise your hands before him, raise your voice before him as we sing in just a moment. Let's pray together and then let's worship. Let's pray. God, all of our lives you have been so faithful. You have been so good and you have pursued us and run after us. And so here we are today having drifted and wandered with our breath, saying we love you and we praise you and we ask you to screw our heads on straight and make us fit for your service for another week. Now hear our praises, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.